You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. So, uh, we have four kids and four grandkids. Our oldest uh, daughter is 39, they're 39, 35. And then the boys are 20 and 29. And then our oldest grandson is 17. He's going to graduate high school this year, which is really hard to believe. And then, so they're 17, 15, 14. And our one granddaughter is 10. And our daughter and son-in-law had the nerve to take our granddaughter and move down here to the South Bay um, in March. So... So now we get to come visit a lot. <laughs> Yay, that's so great. I love it. Caroline, let me start with you. Um, I just love what you guys are doing. I mean, wow. If any of you have ever been to the LA Dream Center, it is just, oh, I, I tear up. Every time I go through there, it just breaks my heart in a good way of what God is doing. Um, tell us a little bit about how that works, the Dream Center and the church, because it just seems to work so seamlessly. And then before you do that, I want you to tell everybody how you met Matthew, because that is the best story. <laughs> and it's just, it's awesome. So tell us that. Okay, so um, I'm 17 with braces, and I just hear about this place called the Dream Center. And the Dream Center was two years old at this point, and Pastor Matthew Barnett started the Dream Center at the age of 20. So now he's 22, I'm 17. I attend my first church service at the Dream Center, and it's this rickety old basketball gym with no AC. It smelled awful because of all the homeless people, and it was like 100 degrees in there. So it smelled really bad. And um, Anyway, so it's my first church service, and Matthew's 22, leading the service. And he says, before you're seated, turn to the person next to you and say hello. Well, as soon as he said that, he jumped off the stage, came straight to me and said, Hi, I'm Matthew. Do you want to go out tomorrow night? Uh, so I smiled big with my shiny brace. I'm like, sure. So we're supposed to meet that next night. Um, but if you've ever been to the Dream Center, we have a huge campus. It's on, on an entire city block. We have nine buildings on the property. There's several parking uh, lots. So again, it was just my first time. So I, I was waiting that next night um, next to the cafeteria on the main parking lot. He was waiting around the corner down the street on another parking lot. Um, we both waited about 30 minutes and assumed the other one didn't show up. Um, but this goes to show how much pride's in our home because uh, neither he or I said anything about missing that date for two and a half years. Um, but I had just rededicated my life to Jesus, you know. So you know how you were super radical and super saved. And so I thought, oh, God, thank you for protecting me because I know you've called me here for life. And it would be so weird if I dated the pastor. So... Um, he didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. After I turned 18, I moved in as a full-time volunteer. I started some programs, and then um, it was two and a half years later that Matthew started calling me in for meetings that weren't really necessary. Um, and he's not a micromanager, so he had never met with me at all about any of the ministries that I was doing. So, um, And had I known my power, I would have asked for more budget in my ministries. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, he asked me then out for a second first date. And now here this great man of faith, so bold, so fearless, who took on this crazy ministry in L.A., brought his mother on our first date. Yeah, bad idea. But she's Swedish, just like I'm Swedish, she's Swedish. So we're speaking Swedish the whole night in front of him, and he doesn't understand anything. But she was all in for me. She wanted me so bad for him. And uh, so she was just asking, like, how how much do you like him? Would you marry him? All those kind of things on our first date. But then uh, we both kind of knew at that point, and I see God's timing and why the two-and-a-half-year delay was good for all of us. But um, anyway, so we got married six months later. Um, and it's neat because we bust in all the homeless. We bust in all my regular people from my food truck sites. And uh, you had half of Phoenix First Assembly drive out for the wedding. So um, it was just a beautiful mix of 3,000 people from all walks of life. But, yeah, so. So great. Can you talk a little bit about the Dream Center and the church and how that works together. So uh, where the thought of, or the Dream Center came from was Matthew started out just wanting to do a traditional church in L.A., but when he saw all of the social needs in L.A., um, and, you know, he would bust in the homeless and they would get saved, it broke his heart to have to go put them back on the streets. And he had one guy say, if you put me back after, I'm not going to make it. And so 
Um, around that tiny little church that Matthew inherited, he started renting out the little homes around that church, and he was filling them with people getting back on, on their feet from addiction, suicidal attempts, depression, homelessness, um, some from prison, prostitution, things of that nature. And so he saw that these programs were working. And so he's driving along the freeway, and he sees this big hospital for sale. And uh, so he has this vision that that hospital will be used every floor doing something to help um, different categories of people who are hurting in our city. So uh, that's where the vision came from. Uh, they end up getting the building. We've been in that building now for 24 years, uh, 23, 24 years. Um, but so we started out as a church, but then we realized to be the church, we needed 24-hour care for people who were hurting this bad. And all of our programs are free, one-year live-in programs. And for re- um, rehab homes and things like that nature, it's typically five to $6,000 a month. So to be able to provide people the ability for an entire year to get their life back on track and given a real first chance at life for most of them um, is really exciting. The testimonies never get old. Yeah. I still cry every single time. And, um, you know, every time I hear a story, I think, no wonder. Yeah. No wonder you've made your choices. No wonder you've ended up in your yeah. circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what I get so excited because you can think, like, how do you take someone this broken and help them walk healed and whole? Can I tell you, the word of God works. His presence works. All we have to do is provide uh, an avenue for them. So with that then, uh, we were meeting in this tiny old beat-up gym. And that was our church. We were so excited about it. But we were desperately in need of a bigger sanctuary. We're looking in L.A. is so expensive. And God then, again, it doesn't make sense how we have the buildings that we have. God gave us Angelus Temple, which is uh, the mother church of the four square denomination and it's within walking distance to the dream center so all of our residents are able to walk to church um but this historic building and uh it's valued at over 70 million dollars but when we um got the building they were in the middle of a remodeling project so they allowed us to pick and choose how we wanted it remodeled and then they built us a seven-story structure it doesn't make sense it's so god that he provided that but our church unless you're into Outreach, unless you're into hearing these kind of stories, uh, you probably won't like our church because we don't have. Um, well, I'll tell you this: one of the most exciting uh, moments in our church's life was when the first normal family came to our church. <laughs> right? It was a parents with two kids, and they drove in from like an hour away. We're like, "Do you really want to be here?" Because you know. Um, but we were so excited that a real normal family actually wanted to come to a crazy wild church like this. And their daughter one night, because they were having a family meeting, uh, said, uh, their parents had said, okay, we're only going to see uh, G-rated movies because BG-13 has cuss words and, you know, it's not good for us to hear cuss words. She goes, so the nine-year-old daughter says, yeah, because we hear plenty of that at church. <laughs> so unless you're the kind of parent say, hey, I want my daughter, my son, to see the transformative power of Jesus to really broken lives, unless that's your passion, unless you, you see the value of that over the fact that you're going to have kids who are cussing next year, three-year-old or five-year-old. Um, yeah, that's the kind of heart you're going to have to have. So amazing. I reiterate what you said. If you have not had the opportunity to visit the Dream Center, I would put it on my bucket list. It will change your life. It's yeah. amazing. Susan, you guys have been in ministry for a long time, a lot of years, I've done a lot of things, but as of recent, have been given uh, the opportunity to lead as senior leaders. And so um, I just wanted you to maybe share a little bit about that. I know for John and I, we've helped several churches transition. We've had several friends take on the leadership of existing churches. And some of those things have been amazing. It's just been like the hand of God has been all over it to see how God has orchestrated and put the pieces of the puzzle together. Some of those transitions have not gone so well. So I don't know, there might be some ladies here that maybe have found themselves in that place or will find themselves in that place. So could you maybe share some, just some lessons you've learned or how you guys have made that transition well? Sure. We, so we are actually about two weeks short of our three-year anniversary of taking this church. Um, And we, first of all, we're like the unlikely people to do it. I just turned 58. It's not the typical age you're transitioning to leading a church. Most people are starting to think of the future at that point and what the transition out will look like. But um, the church that we're leading now is 70 years old. So there's also that, that, you know, we 
are following two amazing great leaders before us. And so we're, we kind of, I guess in a nutshell, feel like we've been, like the Lord's placed us on assignment to be a bridge between what the past was and what the church was built and how it brought it brought us to this point and then the future and creating and casting vision for where it's going to go in the future because we all know that you know you reach that point where what got you to here will not get you to there and so it's time to make that um, transition and so we've been at what was formerly city bible church and then way before that uh it was bible temple so we um, totally forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> so anyway, um, we just felt like we weren't looking for this. We weren't like out, you know, usually people who move into a transitional role, you're thinking, okay, the next thing I want to do is I want to lead a church. I want to be pastor in a church. Um, so we were not doing that. It's more of the assignment from the Lord. This is what God asked us to do. And coming into it, following you know two amazing pastors before us, we could have, you know, you can find those moments where it can be really, really intimidating because people love both of those pastors before us. Um, but having been there 24 years, that's where I was going with that. Having been there 24 years, um, being part of the executive pastoral team for 20 of those years has its advantages on one hand in the sense of people know us, we know them, we know the church. A lot of what we do in the church now are things that we've you know, had a hand in starting and implementing and kind of the way it's going and those things. So there was, it was kind of a, a safety thing in that but then on the flip side of that, you have all these people that you've been peers with for 20 years, and now all of a sudden, you're the leader. And so that can really create, on both sides, some insecurities. And so we that was one of the things we had to navigate, was everybody finding their kind of the new normal of, okay, so you're the leader now, and where we've been like buddies before, does that mean that changes? Because the dynamics do change. Yes, change. Um, especially, and I would say really kind of a lot more for Mark, where he's actually, it's, you know, none of us wives are on staff at the church, not at least in pastoral roles, there are other roles, but so it's not in like a direct report to you know, Mark being the boss. But all the guys, they've been in that, but for years they were all executives, and now he's the leader among them. So it took a little bit of navigating of, okay, we love each other, and we've been like brothers, and now where do I fit in this for the guys? But also for Mark, like, okay, this is kind of awkward that now I'm the one leading this, and... I'm your boss, and that's just weird. So we really just have to be in very, very intentional in, number one, not allowing insecurity to play a role, um, and keeping that in check. Because any time, I think on both sides, whether you're coming in as the new lead or you're exiting as the previous lead, there's, there's a lot of, if you let give any room for insecurity, it can become a big distraction. Um, you know, for us, knowing there were these two amazing pastors before us, and the amazing thing is every single one of, you know, the three lead pastors in this 70-year church are very different. Everyone, but we're just confident that knowing God has had placed each one of those couples in that role for the season that the church needed. And so, you know, where I was saying, we feel like we have been called to be the bridge. Mm. That we take it very, it's like one of our biggest things is making sure to always be honoring the past. And knowing that we didn't build this. We did not 
do the groundwork and lay the foundation. And yes, we've been there for 20 years and done a lot of work on it, but we weren't the ones with the original vision. And so coming in, just knowing that we play a very important role for where we're taking the church, but that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. And we always keep that first and foremost. That this isn't our church, it's God's church. And he appoints who he wants in those seasons. Um, but we, and really, I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing for us is the insecurity thing, is yeah. knowing. I, I, I'm interrupting for a minute. No, I think it's so important, um, just as a church parent, you know, 24 uh, years ago now for us, we went, we didn't do it, it was pre-arc, so we didn't have all the luxuries of, of the knowledge of those that had gone before us, but, you know, we were a group of seven and we were friends, and um, I overnight went from my, you know, elementary school best friend, that was my college roommate, that now I was her and her husband's boss. So learning to navigate those relationships, I think that's a huge key no matter where you are in leading church because that, that you know, the friendship versus leadership versus when to talk about what is it okay to bring that up. Am I crossing a line for those of you who are serving a senior pastor and vice versa for those of us who lead, you know, when do we cross that line into, into the other person's life? I think that's a huge lesson for us to learn. Yeah, yeah there's... Uh example we heard in a video we watched uh, on the name. anyway um, of having your lightning rod and kind of having the person that you go to that's your safe place you know and so we've had to really kind of just change all of that as to who you still deepen those relationships but they're different um, and we just but while really honoring and protecting the heritage of the past. The Lord kind of gave us a word when we were doing this that our job wasn't to come in and like change this and create some different church and some, you know, young, get cool church. I mean, we have people in our church who are in their 90s. Uh, there's people who were there when the very first meeting happened. It's like, so we have to always be aware that we have to be honoring of those people but we also do want to create a church that the next generation is going to want to come into. And finding that place of how do we do that? How do we honor? And I think a part of that is teaching this, you know, this next upcoming generation that it's okay to really honor the past and you don't have to come in and change things. I mean, it looks different because obviously you do change things, but you don't have to change the kind of church it is. You know, it is you know, the same roots that were built into the church, you know, the evangelism and discipleship and worship and, you know, just loving God and loving people and building strong families and uh, a global reach. All of that stuff is still important. It's going to look different going into the future than it was what brought us to this place. But just always being aware of that piece of it, that we're kind of the bridge to bring that honoring of the past and cultivating that gene, if you will, into this next generation so that at whatever point our season is up, you know, because we're 58 years old, we're only there for a window of time. And so, but just having it ready to that that, the past isn't lost when it's passed to a younger pastor. So, okay. unique in that sense. That is awesome. I hope that helped somebody out there. I think y'all navigated that so well. And like Leslie was saying, it's just so important, you know, if you're the boss or you're the employee, you know, how do you navigate that transition and honoring? So important. So job well done. And just knowing, hey, this is in my hand right now. We're going to do our best and we hand it off to the next. So I love that. Jennifer, let's talk to you for a second. I see your little hubby back there, Jason. Um, we've got a lot of history, and you, know, you guys were with us for a while, and just love doing life with you guys. But planning a church in San Francisco, wow, we got so many people. Like, cannot even imagine, you know, um, the journey that y'all have been through. And I've heard little bits and pieces, but two years, you know, our baby's still doing this. 
And um, wow, I, San Francisco, just that in itself scares me. You know, like in the natural, I would just be petrified of, gosh, how do I do this, Lord? And it's so expensive of a city. And Dina was there a couple weeks ago for their two-year anniversary and just said, you know, homeless people everywhere and other sites, you know, to be cold. Um, just all around the church. So tell us about that. Um, yeah, so San Francisco, we... Like I said, we're in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is very, very different than San Francisco, <laughs> California. Bit. And then in a suburb of Dallas and Grapevine, Texas, for a few years. Um, and really, my husband, San Francisco just came to my husband's mind. Can I ever plant a life-giving church in San Francisco? Probably five to six years ago prior to ever even planting. And then, oddly enough, his sister moved to San Francisco. So then we start making trips there. And... Um, and it really, if anyone knows my husband, he's creative, loves startup, um, architecture, just, he just loves um, influence, and San Francisco is a very influential city. Um, what happens in San Francisco usually gets spread around the world, and he loves the idea of that and being a church in a city like that, as well as in a, um, in a city that many people call as a church graveyard, just um, let's, let's go for that city, you know? And so... For me, as a wife, um, I'm, I was, I've always sort of been, I feel like, very honoring in what I believe he hears from the Lord. So I was like, all right, let's do it. But I will say, every time we went and we would scope out the land, we would stake in the ground, we'd take a picture of ourselves truly like, this is it. And then we'd get on the plane and delete the picture. And we'd be like, no, we're nuts. We can't do that. And because it's scary, and, um, and at the end of the day, we... We would go, okay, let's, let's, let's just stay in Dallas, or let's go here, and let's go here. But Sam, in other places, we get wiped off the whiteboard, per se, but San Francisco always stayed up. And so we we're like, what's holding us back from going to the city? And it was fear. Finances, it's the most expensive city in the world. Um, it's, it's just, there's a lot of things you face. It's transient. Um, so you may have one family that says they're there for the long haul, and next week, They've got a new job. They're going somewhere else, or they can't afford rent. Or um, so there's a lot of things, and I think we just feared all those things. And then at the end of the day, we looked at each other and we're like, we don't want to be 80 and wonder what if. We don't want to go. Hey, I wonder what if we were going to San Francisco. So we said, let's go. We'd rather go and fall flat on our face than not go at all. Yeah. Um, and so we're now celebrating two years, and we're still trying to figure things out. Um, it's still hard, um, but it's still, we keep the winds in front of us. Um, we just had a meeting this past Sunday at our house, and um, most people that live in San Francisco, it's very hard to find people that have lived there and they stay there. Um, a lot of people in our church are from other places um, and not born and raised in San Francisco. Um, and they travel all, come from, people come for like an hour to come to church, it's crazy. But um, we were talking, and she was like, you don't know what this means. I just wanted to write everything down. She was like, we want to be a part. I've never been in a church like this. And I think y'all, I think what you're doing is is very, um, I think, what, I'm trying to think of the verbiage she used. Y'all are harder on yourself than you realize. And we, it's so easy in a city like San Francisco and the hardships you face as a church plant in that city um, to focus on those things. And she was like, but y'all are doing way better than you think you are. And you need to celebrate those. And so um, so being in that city, yes, it does have rents high and um, that dynamics of family look different and parking your car looks different. And, you know, any, like you have to take a ferry to get to one place to another in certain places. It's just a whole different dynamic of living. Um, but as I reflected on the past two years, we would do it all over again yeah, because right. of the story like that was told in our living room on Sunday right. that they wanted a church and we always said and Patrick you know, has always told us that if it was just for the one like if it wasn't an outreach and if just one person took a card and came to church that weekend it was worth it um, and so that's what we do we do every Sunday because it's for the one and that's just so proud of you all yeah Kids out here, and this is too hard. But for the one, 
you know, for no other reason that family, but there's going to be so many more families. And we're just proud. Our family, we are proud of you guys and all of you out there that are just, you know, um, one foot in front of the other. Every day. Here we do. Do it again. We're going to keep trying. So I love it. Lizette, you guys are in an exciting time, um, which a lot of people dream of, a new building. Could you tell us a little bit about that, maybe the journey? I know um, some of us have had the joy of experiencing that. Some of us are believing God to experience that one day. Just share a little bit about where you guys are as a church. Sure. Um, Well, I would say if you would have asked me a year ago, I probably wasn't sure I would make it through this session because a year ago we were in the middle of kind of an expansion, in the middle of subtraction. Um, So if you've ever felt like, oh my God, things are going great, and all of a sudden you look around and you're missing people, that significant people that just aren't there, that you're like growing with and building with and investing with, and you turn around and you're like, where are you, you know? And um, so it was um, kind of one of those days where I had my big ugly cry. Anybody had those big ugly cries? You know. And I'm having my big ugly cry because I realized, like, you know, it's it's that woe is me. Like, oh my God, all the people that I poured into, you know, maybe I'm failing as a leader. You know, I've invested into people, poured my life into them, and where are they? You know, it's it kind of feels like, you know, um, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have done all that. And you know, you have those moments, and then all of a sudden you hear the angels, you know, ah, like, wake up, like, get your head out of yourself, you know, and I think what you just said, Dylan, is so important, is if you don't have a why, if you don't have a why in your spirit, then you will always get caught up in self, and I think, so because there's a why, it was like, well, you know what, there's a reason why we're here in the first place, and so I'm not going to allow whatever's going on with people and whatever's going on around us to stop the why that's inside me. So I washed my face, put on a little bit of makeup, put my hat on so nobody sees your little baggy eyes, and I went to church. Somebody, come on, went to church. And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to share with you this scripture, too, because I think, you know, Isaiah 58, 8, and it says, "Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. And I was thinking about, you know, just like, man, you know, thinking about where we were a year ago to now. How many of you know, after subtraction comes multiplication. And I'm so thankful for a God that multiplies. And I'm thankful for a God that subtracts. Because when I look at now, I'm just, I look at the team around us. I look at the people around us. I look and I'm like, man, they are rightly fitted. You talk about Ephesians, that they're being rightly fitted. I feel like God is rightly fitting people right smack into place all around us. And so in those, in those seasons of subtraction, I just want to encourage you, just lean in on the Holy Spirit, trust the process, and just keep going. So that would be, you know, because, and all that to say, yeah, we have some buildings, you know, and all these amazing things, but a building is just a building without people in it. And so we're in the process, our season right now, is we are building, building, building internally so that when we get in there, we are good to go. So that's what we're doing. So good, so good. Um, Love, just shifting gears a little bit. How many of you loved Herbert and Tiffany's session? Wasn't that so great? You know, it's so important to talk about our marriages. And um, Susan, I'm going to direct this to you. Maybe Caroline, you could talk about it a little bit. All of us on the panel are married, and for different amounts of time, of course. But how have you kept your marriage strong, you know, through the years? Because there's, like they talked about, there's the seasons, and they're they're all hard, <laughs> you know, in different ways. But tell us how you kept it strong. Um, I think, so, I mean, for both of us, like I said, we've been married four years, so almost four years, so a lot of time to work the bugs out. <laughs> but we... Um, when we were younger, and you know those seasons where you got, I mean, we had a house full of kids, and we did foster care, so we had really a house full of kids, and we learned then that we had to be very intentional, and thinking futuristically, so we kind of made that mental thing of, if we want to like actually have a relationship with each other when our kids are grown and gone, because that's the goal, is that they will be grown and gone. If we want to 
we don't want to be one of those that they move out and they're like, so, huh, what do we even have in common? <laughs> so we were very intentional even back then. And even with a chaotic house, I mean, it's the obvious thing, love, honor, respect. And, you know, we were like, okay, we have to spend time together. Well, when you've got a bunch of kids, sometimes that's just really hard. So it might look like, having a cup of coffee on the deck or whatever, sitting out on the deck after everybody's in bed and you have a half an hour of silence. I mean, but just to be able to be intentional, whatever that looks like, if if it is a date night or if you just have to steal moments and go to the grocery store, whatever season it happens to be in. Um, but in that, we kind of, and it was kind of out of going through a hard season where I mean, I don't know about you guys in your marriages, but we are as opposite as two people could possibly be. We're not just the male and female different, but we are as far on the opposite ends of the spectrum as two people can be. And so we had to learn early on, okay, we are going to be a team. I mean, for me, my I think my silent frustration, going back to that marriage session, was <laughs> that I just thought I had to keep up and learned the hard way, well, I can't because I'm not built that way. I mean, he runs in overdrive, and I'm, it's like, I'm just laid back. So we learned coming out of this really hard season that we just have to not allow our differences to be a place of like contention but a place of actually complimenting each other and coming to a place. So we, you, I mean, it's been years now, so it's, I mean, obviously it's not perfect, but we learned how to look at each other and Mark will always see something from this point of view. I will always see it from this point of view, but we learned to bring those two pieces together and have it be a whole. Because we do, we, I always, there's a picture that always comes to my mind, it's an analogy I use in all the different things, but um, it's a picture of Mount Hood, and I don't know if you have ever seen a picture of Mount Hood, but it's this single peak that is absolutely stunning and gorgeous, but there's this little tiny, like, it's kind of an iconic picture in the Northwest, lake in front, and then a field of spring flowers in front of that. And I use that as kind of the analogy of we can have different people look at the same picture and see different things. Like one person might just see this majestic mountain that is amazing in all her glory and not even notice there's a lake and flowers in the picture. And I might be like, oh my gosh, those flowers are the most beautiful spring flowers I've ever seen and don't even notice anything beyond that. And a lot of times if if we just stop there at the difference piece of it, we can it can become a point of contention of that, well, no, that's not what was in that picture, or that's not what I saw, or that's not what that is. And but to be able to come together and go, well, I saw this, well, I saw this. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And be able to bring it together to make a whole thing. And so, I mean, there's in our unique situation, Mark's the one who's the runner, and I'm the one who's like, oh, okay. I frequently will tell him, okay, you know this is not sustainable, right? <laughs> you cannot run at this pace and live a long time. So, or, and he will be the one to nudge me along and go, you can do this. Yes, come on, you can do it. So, um, we're just, I mean, really, if there's one thing I can pass on, it's that thing. Just let your differences complement each other, not be a point of competition or contention. And that is a good lesson to learn answer. How long have you been married, right? <laughs> yes, good. Caroline, you want to just give a little tidbit real quick? Um, sure. Uh, I think something that's helped me was when I first got married, I was shocked that marriage wasn't what I pictured it before I got into it. Um, and so I think uh, what helped me was when I threw all of my ideas out or what I expected out. Um, and I would say Matthew and I's marriage is very unconventional. It's not normal. It's not what you, it's not the typical marriage box. Um, but that's okay. You know, our life, I would say the ministry has actually bonded us. It's never been a sense of contention. We're in it to win it. We I felt just as passionate about the Dream Center as he did. And so 
Um, that's never been an issue between us. I, I get what it's going to take, and I'm involved, and I know, and I care, and I'm passionate about it. So that's actually bonded us. So I didn't mind that fact that he had to travel like 45 times a year to raise money to keep the doors open, right? That didn't bother me. And I'm independent, very independent. So my husband is very energetic. You know, he's so I actually liked the break. It felt good. I needed a chance to catch, <laughs> catch my break. Yeah, it breath, right? It's like, hey, don't you have a trip? Don't you have a trip coming up? Um, so anyways, but God graced me for that. God, yeah, God graced me to enjoy being. Yeah. I love it when he's home. I love it when he's gone. So, um, but yeah, and, and he graced me to love the ministry because that was my calling. And yeah. so um, I do think marriage gets better over time. Yeah. You let go of some things in your own, like as you grow in God and they grow in God and uh, you let go of your own issues, just like uh, they were, Herbert and Tiffany were talking about. Um, you know, you work through your own stuff, and then you get better together. So we just celebrated 20 years um, this month. Yay! Okay. Jennifer, real quick, although this is a big subject, but baby church, two years old, and young kids, and new city, and all that that entails, what would be a couple of quick tidbits of advice you could give Church planting and kids. Um, from the beginning, include your kids. Um, it was never dads want to plant this church, moms want to plant this church. It was the layers. The fam- our families want to plant this church, and they've always been included, and they've actually been a huge source of encouragement to us. Um, a lot of times, God spoke to them um, even before we planted the church um, and used them to sort of nudge, push us to San Francisco. Um, and I would so include them, include them in outreach, include them in planning. You know, like we have an outreach coming up this weekend, and it's a booth at this fair. It's going to be a lot of families. So I was like, Liam, help me think. What would? Why would you come to this booth? What would get you there? You know, would it be donuts? What if you like? Oh, if you had donuts, I'd be there. Yeah. I'd be at that table. So um, you know, he's like, do you have chocolate? And he may want to work the table just to be eating the donuts, but. So include them in, in what you can, you know. They are part of our small group. We have dinner parties, small group, usually. And so and it's family, so there's other kids there. We ask questions, and Liam loves leading the question time. And um, So I would say make sure that they're not they're, they're not an afterthought, um, that they're included in the process. And don't make everything about church. Um, church isn't our whole life. We, um, it's part of our life. But we prioritize our family first, um, even before the church. So we make sure we do have family dinner, probably three to three or more nights a week, if not. Um, Mom and dad are not gone every night. We are we do our best to make sure that we're home to tuck them in. We send them off to school together, um, and then we we share the wins with them. So um, we make sure that they know what they're being a part of and. Did you, did you see that family? And they'll tell us sometimes, hey, so-and-so was back in church this weekend. And um, so they're very aware of, of what we're doing and why we're there. Um, even just celebrating the two years, you know, we celebrated as a team. And I talked to, to Jason about it. And I was like, we need to make sure we bring the boys. So we just cooked dinner and we celebrated at the table. And they shared what their favorite thing about living in California was. And um, so I, I would just say, included in the process. Um, prioritize your family over the church. Um, don't let them feel like they're getting the the worst of you. Um, like, oh, I have all these meetings, but my kids get the last of us. Um, and just, you know, get into their world and talk to them about what their, their life is like, how school and that kind of stuff. So good. That was awesome. Girl, you got it going on. Um, you know, one of the most popular questions seems to always be in these type of environments with women, how do we juggle it all? Mm. You know, all the pressures, being a mom, a pastor's wife, maybe a girl on staff in ministry, and how do we balance it all and then make sure that we know where our identity comes from? Mm. You know, I can remember having babies, and you know, I was the worship leader, and when I was out, you know, when they were itty-bitty and just staying home, taking care of them, I would feel lost. Like, you know, just so not apart and connected. And I think, oh, what's wrong with me? This is not good. This is not who I am. Um, but that it's so normal, right? But how do you, maybe Lizette, help us with that balance? Because they all want to know that. Sure. How have you done it? 
Yeah, well, the word balance isn't in the word, the word order is. And so I think it's just kind of like, how do you have find order? And like for us, we had an intense week last week. Um, we had the meetings and all kinds of stuff. So we call it sandwiching. So we took like Saturday and Sunday and we just filled up, filled up the, our love tanks with our kids. And we just spent time with them. We, we went to Disneyland. Like we just hung out. Um, and then we sent them off, have a great week at school, you know, we'll see in a few days. Um, I, I don't know in this life, you know, life is ministry. So to try to, to try to separate life from ministry, it's just not going to happen. But as long as we put it in order, you know, um, God, we've got our spouses, we've got our kids, then we have the people. And I think I love what you said about being in our kids' worlds. I think that's so important. I think with our spouses as well. Is making sure that we're in their world, because um, if you are, if you're either you're either highly involved in the church or you're way in the back, which is fine, wherever you're at. So, but you have a world, and so a lot of times we're thinking of everything that's on my list and everything that I got to do, and he's thinking of his. But it's making sure that our worlds connect. Um, so what my husband and I do in the mornings every day is we get up early, we have our devotional time, and then we spend time together for like 20 minutes before the kids wake up. Because when the kids wake up, guess what? That it's their world. So uh, we kind of spend that 20 minutes, and we just talk. We talk. There's plenty to talk about. So we talk about us. We talk about the church, maybe what's going on in the day. Um, and um, so that's kind of what we learned from our pastors that, that we've kind of tried to incorporate. That's great. Good. Awesome. Good. So good. So good. Caroline, you are in L.A., the city of dreams, right? <laughs> lots of highs and lots of lows. And people come to make it and often find themselves broken. They, just the full gamut of people mm-hmm. leading a church, you know, no matter what city you live in, you know, there's lots of highs where we're celebrating, and then there's lows where we think, you know, was that what you referenced? I think we can all reference a season like that that was like, okay, God, what is next? Yeah. How have you managed all these years to keep the main thing the main thing? What keeps you going when you feel like you've hit rock bottom? Yeah. Um. So when, when I read that question earlier, I didn't go, how raw and real am I going to be? <laughs> but I, I, I know we're, we don't help anybody when we try to pretend like we don't have stuff. But um, so, of course, you know, as you can imagine, Dream Center, I've been there 23 years. Uh, we've gone through extreme highs where God's providing like crazy and then extreme lows where we think we're shutting the doors and it's been nutty like that. But um, and then you feel God's favor on you and then you think he dropped you, you know, and so um I would say, of course, as you can imagine, working with high-risk people, we have a lot of crazy stories, some really funny but scary, crazy stories, like now we can laugh kind of stories. Um, but, but that part of ministry has never hurt me or caused me pain. Um, and so just working with hurting people, that's, you expect that, right? And so I've always loved the ministry, the outreaches, all of those things. Um, have always been what keeps me inspired, hearing the stories, keeping my eyes on the fact that God is truly the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I see that physically through every testimony. I would say it's those stories that keep me going. But um, I would say three years ago would be my lowest low. And uh, we were going through such a hard time. Um, We had some major staff issues that left us in what I thought we were going to crash and burn. I thought it was over. Um... And I think the hardest part was I felt like Matthew and I, we had failed God. Like he had put us in charge and we let it get this bad. Like how, even though we didn't technically, we hadn't done it, but how did we let it get this bad? And it was such, it was one of those times as soon as payroll passed, I was still, I was already sick in my stomach for two weeks later when payroll had to make it, right? We went through two major layoffs. Um, we still don't have the staff that we need, but it was just one of those ugly, ugly times. I thought for sure our doors were shutting and it was our fault. It was, that's, that was the hardest part. I felt like I had failed God, personally. So um, it was one of those times. And then also, is, why does it all happen at once, right? So there's attacks from every different, yeah. Yeah. different direction. We had a, our huge electric, whatever you call it, the thing that controls all of the electricity for all nine buildings exploded. We thought we were um, bombed, right? It was during all those crazy things. We thought we were bombed. And so the entire campus lost its electricity. One building was in without its electricity. And people lived there. We have over... 
We have 550 residential beds, but then we have another 200 beds for our workers and volunteers, right? So there's a lot of people. Everything just seemed like it was falling apart. God took his hand off us. We were wrong. He made a mistake, and he just realized it, right? So, um, but during that time, I lived in dread. I dreaded every single day. I dreaded waking up. I gained 50 pounds during that process because, um, you know, at dinner time, I was coping. And it was what used to be my birthday dinner or my special Christmas dinner was my every night dinner. And I had never struggled with my weight my entire life. But it was just super dark. And again, my biggest heartbreak was I felt like we had failed God. And so, um, but how did I climb out of that? So, sorry. Um, God is so good. But So I, I was speaking at a conference um, at Ray McCauley's Church in South Africa. And uh, the other guest speaker was Marilyn Hickey. Amazing oh. Marilyn Hickey, right? So we're hanging out in the green room. And this is long before all this stuff starts happening, hitting the fan. So um, she shows me. She goes, you want to see what I do every morning? I said, yeah, of course. So she pulls out her phone, and she pulls up 40 scriptures. Mm. And each of these scriptures had to do with something going on in her life. Mm. And she says, every morning I go through these scriptures. It takes me an hour but I speak truth over my situation. So you would think, because at the moment, like, that's brilliant. I'm going to do that. How long did it take me before I started? I was like, God, I can't do this. I'm done. And whatever. So then God brought that memory. You remember what Marilyn Hickey told you? And so I did that. And I put, brought out my 40 scriptures, speaking truth to every lie I was believing about us, so good. ministry, so good. whatever it was, all the lies I was believing about our future. Um, any of the things I was letting, looking back, like looking back and looking forward is not healthy, right? And so I had these 40 scriptures speaking truth to every single one of the mental struggles I was having. And she said, you know, she adjusts them as God answers prayers or as, or as situations change, then she changes the scripture. So I've been doing that, and uh, that's how I climbed out of my lowest level. So We're all going to make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears and end with um, some fun for a second. So I'm going to ask all the girls real quick, and then we're going to close in prayer. Maybe an embarrassing moment that you had. You know, church is one of the oh, yeah. most funniest places on earth, right? Um, crazy things happen in church, and maybe it didn't happen in church, but with you and John or, or whoever. So let's start with you, Leslie, and tell us a, a cringe moment that you have. So a couple of years ago, um, we had to do a women's conference, and uh, John was coming up to take the offering for our foundation, and the moment was supposed to be me, I I had planned this moment myself, just really thanking him for, you know, um, enabling us as women in the church to flourish and lead, and what an amazing couple days we've had together, and you know, all the men, the way you served us, you know, we just thank you. But I especially just want to thank my husband. So, John, can you come? And he's like coming up. And I've never used this statement before, never said it. It just popped into my head. And what I meant to say was, <laughs> I just want to take my hat off to you, which that in itself is stupid. I don't wear hats. Like, why would I say that? But I didn't say that. I said, I just want to take my clothes off. Thank you. 
service, Sunday night service, right? So come back up, I'm about to sing, and he's like, oh yeah, and, and she ate it this morning on the floor. I'm like, thanks, Pastor, for pointing that out. I appreciate that. So, most embarrassing moments. Pretty good one. Okay, I thought, well, my friend, one of my best friends, Kelly, is here with me, and she just reminded me of one. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to speak and not say something that's innuendo. Right? Have you noticed that everything means sex in some way, or sexual in some way? And so I get often corrected that I've said something, and I, pure-hearted, had no intention of it meaning anything like that. So anyways, one time I said in church, oh man, I love this scripture, it spanked me. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I meant it disciplined me, what would you say? Like, discipline? Slap. And the slap would be the same thing. So cute, so cute. Do y'all have anything? Well, I haven't been on the stage enough to have those kind of moments. But my thing, my cringy thing is that I can never remember names. Yeah. And that's not good when you are pastoring. It's like I tried all the tricks, I tried all the memory things, I tried all the stuff. And I can assure you, if you walk up to me and say, do you remember my name? Even if I did remember right before you asked me that question, I can assure you I don't remember it anymore. There was one time uh, a girlfriend of mine who has been a friend of mine for like 30 years, um, lived with us for a while, so I really know this girl. And meeting this other new girl at church in the lobby, and I go to introduce the two of them, and all of a sudden, I'm like, and this is my friend. <laughs> Literally could not remember her name. <laughs> so, anyway, it's kind of an ongoing thing. So, if y'all want to pray for me, like, Jennifer, do you have a funny moment with Jason as your husband? You have to have something. I mean, I have funny moments about him. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I mean, he embarrasses me all the time. I don't do a lot of, of on the platform or stage or whatever. Um, but he does embarrass me all the time. Whether it's he mentioned. I mean, this past weekend he talked about um, not having. We're he's in the process. We're in the process of not having any more children. We're trying to establish that. So. You said it from from the platform. You're back there, so I guess I can say it to all these girls. So he talked about that. You know, he's like, so often. He talks about stress. It was about stress. And then he talks about going to get a vasectomy. I'm like, well, now the whole church knows what our business, you know. So there's those moments where I'm always like, did he just say that? Did he just? And we all, he was gearing up in that moment. And this was just Sunday. And there was two other people next to me, and we were like, he's going to go there. He's going to say it. He's going to say it, you know. So there's always, those embarrass me. But I haven't done, I haven't got, I say not from a, a month, but I say all the time inappropriate things that I don't realize are inappropriate in until the people around me tell me they are. So that's a classic talk uh, of mine. I got you, girl. I hope y'all got something out of this today. Did you enjoy this session? We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.